0: Hello and welcome to Shaping Success, a brand new and very exciting podcast from Simply Be, all about women at the top of their game with me, Fleur East. As a singer and broadcaster, I'm inspired by women who push boundaries, women who have carved a different path to society's stereotypes, women who refuse to fit in. And I want to find out who and what shaped their journey to success. So in this podcast series, I'm joined by female icons from all walks of life to talk about their inspirations, heroes, and the moments that changed them. We'll hear from some of the biggest female names and the ones you might know less about as they share their remarkable stories of determination and dedication and reveal the moments and icons that have shaped them along the way. Ultimately, our guests all have one thing in common. They're killing it. So let's meet them. Today's guest is a woman known for her frank, down-to-earth approach to television presenting. As a producer, presenter, and journalist, Anna Richardson is well-known for fronting some of the most talked-about shows on TV, from the headline-grabbing Naked Attraction to a hard-hitting documentary about neurodiversity. Anna is the queen of tackling challenging subjects with warmth and sensitivity. And a touch of humour on the side. Her straightforward manner to subjects us Brits tend to shy away from has cemented her place as one of Britain's favourite on-screen hosts. I can't wait to hear about her journey to the top. Welcome to Shaping
1: Success, Anna Richardson. Thank you. I sound amazing. I mean, you are. Thank you. For that. <laughs> what an incredible introduction. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I just, I'm so excited to talk to you because (laughs) you tackle all the controversial topics that most people tend to shy away from or don't ever want to talk about. Have you always
1: been like that? Have you always been really comfortable? I love a taboo. (laughs) I love a taboo. I think, yeah, I've never had a problem talking about stuff that's difficult and it might have something to do with my with my background and my childhood. So my father's a priest. Mm-hmm. My mother was an RE teacher. I was brought up in the church. I was brought up in a vicarage. Wow. So for me, there was this weird sort of schizophrenic life of the door, literally the house was always open to any kind of person. It could have been the bishop. It could have been somebody on the street. It could have been a drug addict. It could have been somebody getting married. Oh. So the door was always open. So I had that natural curiosity to, in terms of who was going to arrive in the house. But at the same time, with it being the Church of England, mm-hmm. this is back in the seventies and eighties, there was quite a lot of shame around. You know, sort of you don't talk about, don't talk about difficulty, don't talk about that. So I think I learned quite quickly to go. You know. F this, Mm. I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. And I'm not ashamed, I'm not afraid to to tackle things. So you think it was like the inner rebel? Definitely. I'm the only girl in the family. You know, I was brought up in this very sort of strict religious environment. So I think that there is that person that wants to confront authority Mm. and just say, why can't I say that? You know, let's talk about this. Why can't we talk about this? So yeah, I think I've probably, my inner eight-year-old coming out is now
0: how have your parents reacted to, <laughs> to your career then uh, daughter, a daughter of vicar and a, an re
1: teacher I think I think they've both rolled their eyes <laughs> and kind of gone oh, okay I we've suspected that this might happen so I think I was either gonna sort of end up you know pregnant and barefoot and sort of with billions of children you know, or yeah. or actually sort of tackling authority and doing doing something else. Yeah. So I think they kind of rolled their eyes and thought we kind of knew that that you were going to be tricky.
0: Yeah, we knew we had a tricky child on our hands. Yeah. That's so funny. Now, most people know you for a lot of the recent shows that you've hosted, but you've been a presenter for a while.
1: Oh, yeah. So where, where did it all start? So I started in telly. I started in production. So I started in television in just after I graduated, which would have been 92. 19- Three? Wow. Ninety-four? So, and let me tell you, back in the day, I know everybody says this, Mm. that, you know, in my day, (laughs) but back in the day, it was really hard to get into television. This is pre-internet, pre-mobile phones, believe it or not. So the only way you could get a job in television was at the time the Guardian newspaper used to have their media section on a Monday. And after, if you wanted to get into TV, you would have to buy Monday's Guardian – Go through the media section where they literally advertise jobs and you would have to write in and apply for those jobs. Ah. So I got really lucky. I did a, a postgrad in journalism, and off the back of that, I applied for a job in The Guardian to go on to the Big Breakfast. To cut a very long story short, I got a job on The Big Breakfast, which was at the time, you guys, all of you will be too young to remember this, but it was a seminal the seminal breakfast show. Oh, yeah. Of the '90s with Chris Evans and Gabby Roslin and Paula Yates, it was anarchy, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I, that's when I started my career in TV was ah. on that.
0: So, how did you navigate them from that to them becoming a presenter? How yeah. Did you then start fronting the shows?
1: I flip flopped between various jobs in in TV, so I, I've done every side of the camera. So hmm. I have been a producer. I'm now a presenter, but I've also run development mm-hmm. in television, which is the engine of ideas. Um, so I've done every, every side. But starting off in production, it's very difficult, as you as you know, mm. to translate into presenting. I was um, producing a, a consumer show um, when I was in my 20s, and we needed a a, a um, reporter to do some sort of little VTs on the show. And I remember my boss going... God, we haven't really got any money. I mean, you sort of look okay. So maybe, <laughs> wow. do you want to have a crack at being the reporter? I was like, oh God, okay then. And that's how I got my break. as As a presenter, literally, I was producing a show and there was just a slot. To try have a crack at being a, a reporter. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. But that in a way, I wonder whether we've kind of come full circle now because there's so much opportunity for young people now mm. in the media and, you know, you guys can all produce, present, you know, edit mm. everything. So I wonder whether we've kind of like come full circle back in terms of that opportunity.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, did you know that you always wanted to be in front of the camera though when you started?
1: I knew that I would oh. be. I knew that I would be. And I've known that when, when I did a research chat with your producer, I said this to, to Alex, the producer, that I knew from when I was seven or eight that I'd be on TV. It was odd. You did? Yeah. What what was that
0: feeling? Where did that come Just,
1: from? Just, I mean, it's whether or not you kind of believe in, I do believe in whether something's fated or predestined yeah, or whatever. Right. So I had an absolute knowing that I would be on TV. And I knew that when I was seven or eight. And I remember a, a mate of um, mine, her mother saying, girls, what are you gonna be when you grow up? And you know, my mate was like, oh yeah, I might be a nurse. And I was like, I'm gonna be on TV. I just knew that I would. How did everybody react? Because you went to school in Staffordshire, right? And it's quite a small
0: village. Yes. So how did people react
1: when you were like, yeah, I'm gonna be on TV? Were they like, yeah, all right, love? Well, I was, I was <laughs> sent away to boarding school oh. in Staffordshire. So I went to an all girls boarding school. Um, and I mean, I think that maybe I was probably a bit of a sort of show off, I suppose, within, (laughs) within the class. Um, you know, I enjoyed hanging out with the girls. I enjoyed the entertainment of it all. So I don't think, I mean, again, I don't think anybody was particularly surprised, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, it's just one of those things that you just know, I just knew that that's what I was going to do, but it was hard getting there. It was really difficult getting there. But I was lucky that I just had that knowing that that's what I wanted to do.
0: So did it all start from when you applied to that job in the garden? That's where it all began for you and then it just kind of snowballed from there?
1: I did before I I, I applied for that job, after leaving uni, I did a lot of work experience at BBC North. So I was desperately trying to get in, but it was difficult. It was really hard. I mean, I worked for free for months on end Mm -hmm. on various different shows. Um, which wouldn't be allowed now. But, you know, back in the 90s, it was a bit like, oh, God, you've got some annoying 23-year-old, that you know, <laughs> trying to think she can break into television. Let, let's exploit her. Um, And <laughs> clearly, I was up for being exploited. Um, But yeah, I did a lot of work experience, but I just kept on going and kept on going. And then I realised that my only chance really of, of breaking into this industry is to be a journalist. So that's when I did my postgrad in journalism and then kind of in a way through The Guardian, you know, the doors opened onto mm. The Big Breakfast. So it's been a real graft. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you know yourself anyway. It, it still is. Mm. So, yeah. you know, I, I want to sort of disabuse anybody of the idea that the media and television is kind of glamorous and exciting and easy. And it's really hard work, yeah. really hard work. And in a way it should be. You know, I I think that that we should hold ourselves to standards and quality. So, yeah, it's hard work, but I've had the best time. Yeah. Oh, And that's why I just can't wait to hear all about
0: the moments and everything that's happened behind the scenes that have shaped you and got you here today. Firstly, one of the moments that most people will know you for is Naked Attraction. Oh, yeah. That show, 2016. (laughs) It's one of my favourite shows, genuinely, on TV. And I will never forget when the first episode aired... And me and my husband sat down and I was like, babes, we have to watch Gotta this. we got to watch this. We sat down, we watched it. And there was a woman on there that was naked and she was choosing. It was one of the women that were choosing. And we were just like, oh my goodness, how are people this brave, like going on TV? The day after we watched it, we were in Soho, walking down the street and we saw the woman. No. That was on the show. Did you? The day after. And we went, <gasps> we just passed her in the street. And she almost gave us a look of, They've watched it. I know. Yeah, they've it, watched it. It was me. I mean, it just rocked people's worlds. It was yes. one of the first TV shows, primetime TV shows, where we saw naked people Yeah, just in an unfiltered way, just normal
1: bodies on TV. Yeah, yeah. So Naked Attraction is, you know, just stand out, just hands down, my favourite ever show that I've ever, ever done. Worked on, presented, you name it. I love it. And long may it rain. When it was first pitch to me I can remember sitting down with the team and saying you must be out of your you know completely out of your mind (laughs) the idea that we're doing a dating show with people totally naked on British television we're just going to get mullered in the press so this is where in, in a way I think that maybe my you know producing and development head came into play because once we'd really bashed out the format with the team and worked out why are we doing this show I actually felt really comfortable with then presenting it and knowing that I would then have to go and defend it in the press because mm. we knew that we were going to get a lot of a lot of backlash in the press. But I think once everybody got their head around it and the fact that, yes, you've got the funny gameplay, yes, you've got this crazy sort of dating in reverse thing, mm. but actually the show is about acceptance. So once you're able to defend it in that way... I just I knew that it would rate really really well. Can you
0: remember like the line that was given to you, like the moment where you went, "Oh yeah, no, that 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 strikes a chord with me, and that's why I want to do
1: this." Yeah, I think it's when we were talking about the fact that that there's going to be an educational aspect to it that, that there are, we're going to have these little VT moments of talking about the fact that you know the average penis length is seven inches long and whatever. I just thought <laughs> as long as we can embrace. Uh, some education within it. As long as we can embrace diversity Mm. and acceptance, I'm all for it. Because again, as you said at the very beginning of the chat, I enjoy a taboo. I enjoy confronting things head on. So for me, I knew I could justify the series, that it isn't just, you know, giggling at people's nipples. Mm. You know, It's Mm. actually, it's about acceptance. So, yeah, I mean, I love it. It just, it makes me cry with laughter. Yeah. But I love the fact that we're all one big, happy, naked family. Yeah. And
0: I'm glad you said the word acceptance as well, because me and my sister were talking about the show and we were saying it was one of the first times that we'd seen so many different women's bodies. Yeah, Just in that way. And we were like, oh, wow, breasts can look that way. Or, oh, wow, her vulva looks interesting. Or, you know, it was like, Oh, wow. There's so many different types of bodies and yeah. you kind of learn your body in that way. Like, how, how has it helped you on your journey? Because I know you've spoken, you've been very outspoken about, you know, the struggles with body image yeah. and particularly later on in life as a woman. Yeah. How has that, how has doing the show helped you?
1: I think it, it's really appealed to my natural curiosity as a journalist. And you're right to say that that particularly as a woman, you're able to look at other women's bodies and go, Oh, God. Okay, well, that's interesting. Oh, she's got... Mm, I've never seen labia like that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. So there's the curiosity and the education there. And there's just that lovely sense of, do you know what? Everybody's body is normal. Mm. And there's that reassurance, isn't there, of... Actually, I look okay. My body's okay. Mm. Because, you know, everybody's body is okay. Everybody's body is different and it's okay. You know, our bodies work beautifully well. So... There's that lovely aspect, isn't there, to acceptance, acceptance of yourself. And one of the things that I'm really proud of about that show is the fact that we have people going on with disabilities. Mm -hmm. We have people who are trans transitioning. And the fact that they're prepared to stand there and go, look, I've got a stoma or I've got one leg or I've got a penis and breasts. And they're standing there saying, I deserve to be recognised and I deserve to be loved. I mean, for me... Job done really. Job yeah, done. Yeah, that's so true. It's such an important job that you're actually doing. Well, yeah, the there's, there's a sort of educational aspect to it um, that that I that I really enjoy. But I mean, to answer your question very, very, you know, briefly and bluntly, um, it's helped me to accept my body as an older woman. Mm. Um, I recognize now that I'm less concerned about having the perfect body and trying to get into a bikini and, you know, looking amazing and more concerned with, do you know what? My body works and it works really well. And I'm, I'm proud of that. Hmm.
0: How are you so confident talking about all of these types of topics? So for example, me, if I'm with my girlfriends and we're like sitting around the table, we've had a meal, I'll be very confident and outspoken about sex or topics like that. But to go on TV and do it and to stand <laughs> in front of people that are naked in front of me and to be so bold with it like how have you got to that point where you can just like yeah I'm just going to talk about this penis and I'm just going to because watching the show I love how you just kind of walk around the room and you go so what do we think of <laughs> those testicles those balls. Or, and it's just very blunt and it's like I don't i don't know if I can
1: ever see myself in that really? position yeah
0: genuinely yeah
1: Could, well you see I'm going to reverse that question onto you and say why couldn't you see because Immediately,
0: my grandmother's face just flashes in my mind. Yeah, and I can just imagine her sitting there going, hey, my granddaughter, (laughs) she's on television (laughs) with naked people. Like, she would be like, what? is going on so immediately I just think of family and I think they're going to see me and I'm going to talk about all these things and it's just like ah it's something to do with upbringing but interestingly because my mother's a devout Christian yes so I've been raised with all of those morals and things but you've also been raised in a so similar way you've
1: gone the opposite way yeah I mean yeah okay so so the weird thing about my upbringing and you know yours is is very similar actually by the sounds of things mm. devout Christianity did you go to church yes uh, right okay It's a very, very similar thing. The the strange thing about my parents, and and one thing that I'm very grateful to them for, is despite this very sort of strict upbringing, they were also very accepting and very cool about allowing me and my brothers to be who we are. Mm. So it's a strange dichotomy of, you know, Christianity, very strict parameters, but at the same time going... You can be whoever you wish to be. So, Mm. for example, when I left my partner of 18 years to be with a woman, Mm. um, I rang my dad. And I mean, you know, my dad's a a priest, you know, he's a vicar. (laughs) But I rang my dad to say, Look, dad, I've got something to tell you. You might be a little bit sort of shocked, but you know, uh, me and Charles are split up after nearly 20 years and i've met a girl and my dad's answer was just like well darling you know if you're happy and she makes you happy that's all i care about so oh, wow. there's that that cool mm. so to go back to the kind of like confidence of it i think maybe maybe my parents have given me the confidence just to go i don't care what you think right. <laughs> do you know what yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. it's like this is this is about we're all together we come into this world as one we go out as one so you know let's just level this a little bit and let's have some honest chat but that's so liberating and I think that's why
0: people love shows like Naked Attraction because it's like they're sitting on their sofa Not confident enough to talk about these things, but then it's like presented to them in the way that they can watch from the comfort of their home and be like, "Oh yeah, this is like forbidden," and I can watch it and it's fine. But but that
1: makes me curious because I would want to say to somebody, you know, like I was Mm. saying to you, what, why, what is it? Is it the shame? Is it shame? In which case, Mm. you know, f shame. Just get rid of shame. It doesn't serve you. You know, let's talk honestly and openly. So that's what excites me, is is to be able to have honest conversations about really difficult things. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some more moments that have
0: shaped you in your life. Maybe the moments that people don't know about something that's happened in your personal life.
1: Let's think of one positive moment that comes to mind. This also comes possibly bound up with a negative moment. I mean, again, there's that kind of like yin-yang thing going on. So years ago, I was presenting um, uh, a film show for ITV. And I uh, was very, very fortunate that I was interviewing film stars, you know, all day, every day, going to premieres, all the rest of it. And I had to interview Arnold Schwarzenegger in a sort of junket situation, which is, um, you'll have done a million Mm. of them. You know, when you're kind of like in a sausage factory line of journalists, you go to a hotel, the star's sitting there a bit like this, Mm. you do a four-minute interview with them about their film, and then you leave again. Um, And during this particular interview with Arnie, and I have to choose my words very, very carefully here, um, but there was an incident, or there was an alleged incident Mm -hmm. between us, And subsequently, um, I took legal action and I sued uh, Schwarzenegger and his team for libel. So I have to be very careful about what I say, Mm -hmm. but I sued him for libel and we settled out of court. Now, this is a great big story that's kind of like wrapped up in about 10 seconds of of explanation. Mm. But that moment... Defined me in terms of. Shortly afterwards, I spent a long time out of work, wow. um, which was really difficult. So I went from presenting a show, and working in television to signing on, and people going in my sort of local job centre. You not, are you that girl that does that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, girl Can I just get my housing benefit, please? Thanks. So it was very, very difficult times, but that taught me real resilience. Mm. Um, and it taught me, again, to be unafraid to stand up in terms of what I considered to be an injustice. And it took me a long time, but uh, the legal action that I took ended up in, in settling out of court with Schwarzenegger and his team. And I learned how to get back into television. So leave my presenting career behind, and I went back in in, in a development role. So, But it took me a long time to get back in, a long time to get back in. But it's taught me a huge amount, a huge amount in terms of resilience Mm. and standing up and saying this isn't right. So I know that you can't go too much into detail for legal reasons, but
0: during that time there was an alleged groping. Um, There was an incident between you or yourself and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And quite interestingly, what I find interesting is that you were bold enough to speak out. And this was well ahead
1: of the Me Too movement. Mm.
0: So in a lot of ways, you were sort of carrying that message
1: long before that came about. I think that that women have been carrying this message <laughs> for yeah. decades and it's falling on deaf ears. But certainly in terms of, of my situation with with what allegedly happened, yeah, I mean, I took legal action. Um and this was, this was well ahead of the Me Too movement. And so when the whole Me Too thing happened, I felt really frustrated mm. about that because I thought, seriously, are we seriously here again 15 years later talking about this? Um, it's still going on. It is still going on. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I was was there 15 years prior. But, again, I think there's something about women and people speaking truth to power and just saying this isn't okay actually this isn't okay how long was that actual gap from that moment that you left your job to then getting back into it? i reckon so it must have probably been about two years and it was difficult and i got into a lot of debt mm-hmm. and you know i think i don't know whether, whether whether you've experienced this and i'm hoping that it's changing now But certainly there can be in this country the tendency to say, well, you're a presenter, so therefore you can't be a producer. Oh, yes, yeah. Or exactly, or you're a producer, you can never be on screen. Or, well, you're in development, you come up with ideas you can't possibly exec. So there's this this glass ceiling Mm. that we create for ourselves, which in my mind is absolutely unacceptable. So to go from presenting to then going into development, being a sort of program idea person was difficult to do mm. and then to do that switch again from producing back into what I'm doing now presenting it's not made easy for you no
0: no there's so many hats you have to wear like I'm um, quite similar to you in the sense that I started out singing and then as soon as I transitioned into radio presenting and then tv presented everyone's like oh so you're not doing music anymore or, yeah Oh, so you're a presenter now? Yeah. And it's like this desire to kind of put you in one lane,
1: to rather put, put than you just in a celebrate box.
0: all the things that you do.
1: Exactly. And I can imagine that people probably would have said to you as well, "Oh, right. Oh, well, you're doing you're doing radio. Well, you can't do TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, or you know, the same with with television. It's like, well, you do telly. You can't. No, you can't do radio. Whereas, you know, we should be celebrating the fact that do you know what? Hell, we're talented. Mm. We can wear those different hats I am able to turn my hand to those different skills as are you and we should be with everybody applauding those different strings to our bow I think so you took a huge risk at that point in your life to speak out you lost your job
0: you completely turned your life around but because you were so determined to speak the truth how did you find that courage to do that at that point in your career
1: because a lot of a lot of people in that position wouldn't be bold enough Again, it's a strange knowing that I have to do this. This thing that has happened is not right. And it's it's about speaking truth to power mm. and saying, I don't care who you are, I don't care you know, what threats you come out with, it is about standing up and saying, This is wrong, this is unacceptable and I need to put this right. So I, I think it was just that knowing that I need to speak the truth. About this and try and put it right, if that makes sense. Yeah. How did you carry that forward
0: then in your life? Are there any other instances that you've gone? Yeah, I'm I'm someone who's always going to speak out.
1: Well, I think anybody who knows me, mm. <laughs> um, who, who knows me as a human being wants to work with me, would probably say that you know, I'm, I'm unafraid to have those conversations, and I think that's okay. I think that there's there's something in this country we're very afraid i think as a culture mm. and as women yes to be able to say i'm not happy about this or we need to talk about this or do you know what i mean mm. or i'm ambitious or i'm unhappy or i'm annoyed or i'm upset or particularly with with wanting to confront We're taught as women that you're not allowed to confront. Mm. You should be quiet. Whereas if you're a guy, then it's acceptable to do that. So I I think that I've probably raged against that being forced into a box as a woman Mm. to be told to just be quiet and don't confront. So that is something that will, you know, get to me. Mm. Um, So I kind of almost can't help myself but speak out about things that I feel are an injustice or, or not right. I suppose. Yeah, I really admire that
0: actually. And even in friends that I've grown up with, that's a quality that I always really admire because as I've grown up, I've become a lot more outspoken and a lot more confident. But it sounds like talking to you, you've always had that. (laughs) You've just always been like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Like even when you were in school, you're like, yep, I'm going to be on TV. Yep, I'm going to do this. Like you just, you've always just been so courageous. I I
1: have, I have, but it's been very, very difficult. Mm. And it means that as a girl and as a woman, you then get told that you're difficult or that you shouldn't say these things. It's not what girls do. Mm -hmm. It's not what women do. You should do it in a different way. And I really struggle with the idea of should. Um, For (laughs) me, I I would challenge back and say, why not? Why why should I do it this way? So, yeah, again, I I suppose I'd go back to I'm very grateful to my parents and to my upbringing that I suppose that instilled in me, certainly within the Church of England Mm -hmm. and within religion, and it's very patriarchal, as you know, Mm -hmm. there was just something in me as a little girl that just sort of wanted to go, but why? (laughs) Why, Why is it God is some bloke and you're telling me that I can't do this. So, yeah, I think I was probably just really annoying.
0: Now I understand more the eye roll moment that your parents had when you got on TV. Yeah. Now, I'm, now I'm seeing the picture painted for me. I'm I know. like, okay, you're asking all the questions in the vicarage. <laughs>
1: yeah, like but they don't like want this to answer. Girl they're
0: going, oh, gosh. Here we go. And then you're like, guys, I'm. I'm hosting Naked Attraction. And it's like, right, okay, Okay. here we go.
1: (laughs) But I think maybe it's that, sort of going back to the female thing, it's it's that sort of feminist, I mean, my parents' marriage didn't last. And um, I could just remember being, you know, a little girl and there were a lot of fights within the house Mm. between my parents. Like I remember sort of squaring up to my dad and, you know, saying, you've broken one of the Ten Commandments about, you know, being whatever, sort of good to your wife or whatever. Mm. Um, So I think there's always been that sort of feminist kind of like in me of going, hang on a second, you know, no, as as a woman, as a little girl, I'm not prepared to be treated like this. Who did
0: you have in your life that inspired you or impacted you? Was there somebody in your personal life that you always looked up to?
1: Well, professionally, absolutely. Um, Yeah, and... I think that that probably when I first started on the Big Breakfast, I mean that was such a seminal, such a seminal moment at the time. I mean, it was early '90s. It was the show mm. that everybody talked about. It was anarchy. It was chaos. <laughs> Chris Evans was presenting. Gabby Rosner's, you know, Paula Yates, who's now who's now dead, you know, was was one of the key people on this show. It was madness, mm. but it absolutely taught me how to be a broadcaster. And the person that I absolutely looked up to, the two people actually, is Chris Evans and and Gabby Roslin and Paula at the time. But Chris Evans, even though he also got tarred with the he's a very difficult person allegedly to work with, Mm. you know, that man is an extraordinary broadcaster. He absolutely, you know, he knows how to do television Mm. as a producer, as an exec, as a broadcaster, as a presenter. Extraordinary. But my eye was drawn to to Gabby actually, and she's still going. Yeah, she and is. And she knows that I have always admired her. So I met her when I was a baby, you know, twenty three, twenty four. Mm-hmm. She was hosting every day a live a live breakfast show, every day with a smile on her face, every day a consummate professional. She absolutely did it beautifully well. She's one of the best live broadcasters that I've ever, ever witnessed. And I think that she was always slightly in Chris's shadow. Mm. And actually, she was equal to him in every way. And it's really, really great to see that she's still going. And I've worked with her again as a presenter now. Oh, wow. And again, you know, I just, I salute her in terms of her ability to do live events. There's nobody else that can do it as well as Gabby. She's amazing. Mm. I know it, it, it sounds surprising, but... If you watch that woman work, she she's incredible. No, it's interesting to hear from your
0: perspective because you've watched everything from yeah. the inner workings behind the scenes. Yeah, so you know everybody from the moment they walk into the office, the moment they stand in front of the camera. All we see is what's presented to us,
1: and that's it. And you'll know as well as a presenter that you know this. This is all. This is all people see. Yeah, but exactly. there's so much more to that in term in terms of our job and. Mm. I would like to say I think that's quite underappreciated. Mm. A lot of the time there's so much hard work that goes into presenting. Mm. You know you're so, you know you, you you today you're doing three of these shows. All of that research, all of that scripting, all of that sitting in a chair and just beautifully without <laughs> really checking checking your questions or your script just beautifully presenting that. That is a skill. Mm. So, you know, I think I think we all deserve a bit of a round of applause. If you're a good presenter, it's a skill.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: I like that. I feel like we don't,
0: in general, we don't really celebrate ourselves enough. We kind of just go through the motions, it, and then like even when I did your intro today, and you were going, "Wow, God, I God, sound, sound amazing." amazing. <laughs> it's like we don't do that. Though. We we, don't. we do,
1: and also I wonder whether you know obviously it's been very difficult in in the news lately mm-hmm. in terms of presenters and people that are on that are on screen. I think there's possibly a tendency to look at the job that we do and go, that's really glamorous. You guys just you just, just get a kind of like, you know, Mm -hmm. BMW into work and then somebody (laughs) gives you a coffee and then that's all you've got to do. It's actually, to be a good presenter, it's the art of being yourself and it's the art of doing it without looking at your questions, Mm. knowing your subject and doing it in a very smooth, slick way. Not everyone can do it, mm. and so if you can do it effortlessly, then you're very, very good at your job. And as I say, I don't think that's often fully a- appreciated. I think that people regard us as being sort of, you know, um, glamorous layabouts, really, that get overpaid. <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. If only if only people could see really what goes. Yeah, at the hard slog that really goes yeah. into all of it. It's it's very very difficult. But I guess. If you're so seasoned and you've got the finesse, you make it look easy.
1: Maybe that's what it is. That, that's the art. That's the art of presenting. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. And you look at all of your equipment around because often you must get this as well. You must get so many people saying, oh, how did you break into mm. presenting? I really want to do it. What, what advice have you got? It's really difficult and not everybody, look at, look at, you know, you've got auto cue, you've got five different cameras, your mics, Mm. you know, you've got to kind of know how to do that well. And it's, it's, yeah, it's not easy. Mm. Is there anybody else
0: outside of the industry in your life that has helped shape you or impact you?
1: Yeah, I think probably two people that that I look up to and and really admire from a personal point of view. The first person is my ex-boyfriend, Charles Martin, who is now a BAFTA-winning drama director. But when we first met, we were two babies, you know, two researchers in telly together when we got together. And just Growing up together, I think, in the industry, and he went off directing, I went off sort of producing and presenting, he's now transitioned into drama, but we we did a, a show together a few years ago oh. that I was series producing and he was series directing, and Charles has without question taught me how to manage a team in a really positive, vibrant, jolly energetic way how to manage people well Mm. how to try and inspire them how to do television well he you know we were in the office 24-7 we were at home 24-7 and it was just yeah I was able to look up to him in terms of this is how you make a show well and I could learn from him Mm. and I think the other person that I've learned from is Sue Perkins who went on to be my partner Mm. just in terms of her ability to present and particularly as a live presenter again there's no one like Sue that Mm. girl is so clever and she makes it effortless and just watching somebody who's an intellectual titan at work (laughs) and funny boy you know I could I could sit and watch her work all day you know that is somebody to learn from. She is, she is extraordinary. I like that you chose ex-partners because a lot of the time when you ask people to
0: reflect on their past or their history, people don't like to mention their ex-partners. It's almost like, nah, moved on from that. Like you know, I'm I'm moving on. This is my life now. But yeah. but we can't ignore that those people. it been in a lot. I mean, your first partner was in your life twenty years. Yeah. I mean,
1: you can't ignore that those relationships impact you in some way. Well, they shape you. All of them. I mean, you're married, right? Mm. So you know, your 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 husband, and the people around you shape you. So from a sort of psychotherapeutic point of view because I've also trained in in hypnotherapy so I'm very interested in in the psychology mm. of how we manage our lives but from a psychotherapeutic point of view we are an amalgam of the five people you spend the most time with mm. so they often say you know pick your friends carefully so you think about that that if you're spending time with your husband mm. obviously as you do you're, you're with him 24/7 that person's going to have a huge influence on you. So I look back to Charles and how we grew up together, his family and my life, and vice versa. And Sue, they've had a massive impact on my career, my life, you know, and and how you behave a lot of the time. So I have huge admiration for them both still, and they're still really good friends. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to always recognise those relationships, like regardless of whether you're with the person or not. Because people in your life, I mean, like you said, they literally
1: make you the person that you are. They make you, you can always learn from, even if it ended really badly. Mm. Yeah, there's always something. Of (laughs) course there is. You know, there's a dynamic between you and you can always look back at that person and go, I learnt this, this and this from you. And for that, I'm really grateful. So you've spoken
0: openly about the challenges that women face with body image, particularly Mm. later on in life. Yeah. How has your style and choosing the right fit helped you navigate that?
1: I've always had a very strong sense of style that I quite like, quite a strong look. Mm. And maybe I've not really grown out of that (laughs) flair. Perhaps somebody needs to have a word with me. But I think there's something about for me and my particular body as I've got older I know that that tailoring really suits me. So, again, looking at what you're wearing today, mm. I'm kind of like, oh, my God, that, that would be absolutely amazing to be able to wear that. I, oh, my God, I wish I could have worn, you know, really short shorts like that. But tailoring <laughs> works for me. It's about understanding your body and, and working, working it to its best advantage. So I have really big boobs, mm-hmm. I have zero waist, and I've got quite good legs. So for me, a sharp suit, being able to nip it in at the waist, black, Obviously, Mm. always works. Um, So yeah, I think I've got quite a a, a sort of solid sense of of style from that point of view. I don't tend to deviate. I suppose once a goth, always a goth. (laughs) No, it's tragic. Once a goth, always Always a goth. goth, Never grown out of it. That's so funny. (laughs) There was something going around um, on social media a while ago about there was me, Noel Fielding, Davina McCall Mm. and Claudia Winkleman and somebody Mm. put same person, different font. And I'm kind of like, (laughs) fair enough. I do kind of like blur in with Noel a bit too nicely. That's amazing. (laughs) That is so
0: funny. Oh, my goodness. So if we want to look at your goth styles on social media, how can we follow you? Uh, on social media
1: mm. I am still on Twitter So um, I'm at Anna Richard So I'm on Instagram Which is again At Anna Richard So I don't tend to do TikTok Or anything like mm. that huh? I feel like you'd be great on TikTok Do you think
0: so? Yeah Like sex education videos on TikTok
1: Really? Yes mm. Maybe I need to think about that i heard it here first <laughs> Thank you. I just need to work out how you actually do it. I've got to figure hit, it out. I've hit that age though. I've hit that age where I now need glasses, and I don't understand the kind of. It's like, what is this sticker thing, link thing?
0: <laughs> so yeah, thing. I need
1: help with the from the youngsters. I'm looking around here.
0: <laughs> I'll follow you as soon as that is up. I will be following that thank page. You. <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me today. No, thank you. Amazing. It's been an absolute
1: pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Shaping Success, a Simply Be podcast. If you like what you've heard, please give us a follow and a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Shaping Success is a folding pocket production.